with rings. We have now taken over your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one and only DJ Spaceship reminding you that every Monday morning, that's right, every Monday morning on WMNF from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., tune in as me and my co-pilot Nate Dog give you the music you love, the topics to get you talking, and the motivation to get you out your bed to start your week off right. This is Walter Elspeth II, the host of the Sunday Forum. Each and every Sunday from 8 to 10 a.m., the 4th Estate and I do research and have intelligent conversation with each and every one of you. And we love it. We love bringing you the best in radio programming here on WMNF 88.5 Tampa, Sarasota, St. Pete. Find some truth You can't stand one more day 
morning, good morning, and welcome to another edition of the Sunday Forum right here on WMNF 88.5 Tampa, Sarasota, St. Pete. This is your host, Walter L. Smith II, the voice of the Tampa Bay area, along with the members of the Fourth Estate crew. Ms. Annie? Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you doing, little lady? I'm doing great. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, doing That's well, good. doing well. How was your trip? It was good. That's good. That's Let me tell you. Oh, my God. All right, so listen, (laughs) it was outstanding. I enjoyed it. Um, We went to Norfolk, Virginia for the Black and Marine Science Convention. That was awesome. Okay. So it's the first one they've had that's run a full week. To walk into that place and to see so many black PhDs in the environmental sciences was incredible. Incredible. Listen, let me tell you, we see that very rarely. As we talk about these things, um, it is unbelievable to see the the amount of um, of people who come into these these settings, right? And they say, "Oh, you know what? We have absolutely no black people who are marine science." Wow. Okay. Right? And we have no black people who are divers, things like that, right? Uh-huh. There's a very small. Is a very small minority. When I use the two words "small" and "minority," that should tell you something. Mm-hmm. So the key here is to in, is to introduce more of us to the field of environmental sciences, and especially to uh, the field of marine science. Right. Uh, if you go down to South Florida, there is a group known as Diving with a Purpose. It's a program down there. Uh, and it's a group. What they do is they get you certified to dive, I think, 30 feet. Mm. And then you have those people who go get certified for deeper for deeper depths. And <clears throat> the, it started out where they were doing it for the purposes of just of, of increasing the number of black divers. But then what they realized was that there were slave shipwrecks out there. And the only people that were diving in these slave shipwrecks were white people, right? Oh. And they come back with all the, all the, all the, all the good, all the things that come from the shipwrecks and things like that. They put them on display and they keep them things. And they felt, you know, they, they felt like, you know what? Shouldn't we be doing this? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm laughing, smiling because you know they say you know black people really don't do all that swimming and diving. You know, right, we, right, right, we, right. we don't we don't play with the sharks and alligators and all yeah, that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you right now, <laughs> Walter is not doing exactly. It. You know, you know, I'm an environmental engineer, man, but I ain't doing all that. Um, but my son went with me, and let me tell you, that was he was. Inspired now, he wants to go into veterinary sciences. Uh-huh. He wants to be a vet, but he's very interested in and knows a lot about marine science. He's That's good. Very good That's at good. this stuff. Very good at this stuff. Anything having to do with the animal world, um, he's very good with. 
very good with. But now what I'm teaching him is how to couple that with understanding the environment and the habitats that these the same animals live in and understand how that can be affected through the work that I do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and show him how um how we, we need to work to um to stop the, the bad actors in that in that realm. That's good. Yeah, you know, it so sounded like it was very educational, Walter. It was. It was. I was. <laughs> okay. very, very, shout out to. He sounds excited. <laughs> oh man, I was very excited. Shout out to Tierra Moore, Dr. Tierra Moore, uh, Dr. Maya Trotz at USF, um, and the Blue Gap Group. Uh, glad to have you there and, and working on what you're doing, uh, dealing with the science of, of water and the and the issues surrounding the over nitrification of waters. Um, it, you know, throughout the, the nation and in different areas. Uh, so we have people from all over the world that were there. And this is something that I've worked on with this group consistently for the past year and a half. Yeah. So this has been an outstanding uh, journey doing this. Mabili, what's up, man? Not too much. It'd be nice if your son could do both. What's that? <laughs> the environmental stuff and the veterinary stuff. Oh, yeah, no. Hey, hey listen, I'm encouraging that. Right. I encourage that, man. Love dogs, man. <laughs> oh man, listen, bro, it, it's it's outstanding. I love it. I love it. It was it was good to see him. He was just his eyes lit up. Yeah, and he was he was ready to go. I mean, so ain't that anything that can inspire our youth is it all, always a good thing. You know, absolutely. that's gonna have them to do better and help not only just bring what black people need to know more about just. Educating themselves and moving forward is a great thing. So we got some guests in the um, house with us today, Walter. Who we, we got here? Do, we, we do. We do. We do. Um, we have in the house Mr. Tom DeGeorge. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Tom, what's up, man? <laughs> what's up, Hello, Tom? Thanks for having me. Those of you who don't know who Tom DeGeorge is, <laughs> let me tell you. Tom is the owner of the Crowbar on 7th Avenue. I, I have gone to the Crowbar before. And I love it. I went, I went on a very, on, on one of the nights that it was um, a hard rock night. And, of course, hard rock ain't my thing. But, <laughs> and I, I enjoyed, Tom, I enjoyed myself when I went. I played that way. I, I went, I went, um, I used to go there, I went there a few times, quite a few times, man. And uh, I'm glad that you're there, man. Glad you're there. And I'm glad that, that, um, that it has survived all the stuff that's happened, man. Yeah, I'm glad to be there. It's uh, 17 years. Wow. We've been there, and um, <clears throat> it's been a long ride, man. It's been good, though. Absolutely. For the most part. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, well, the last time I was there, we was, in, we was uh, commemorating one of our late DJs, DJ Kenny K. Kenny K. Yeah. So yeah, thank man. you. That's Well, <laughs> you know, Nick Major over there with the Unity Jam, um, yeah. Even even with his struggles that he's dealing with, he's always putting everybody else first and doing benefits yes, and celebrating uh, other community leaders. And he's he's very selfless in that sense. So, as a small business owner, the way I've always looked at it, it was um, uh, when I first got to Ebor City, which was actually in 2001. Um, five years before I opened uh, Crowbar, I was the GM of the uh, the Masquerade, which is now the Ritz Theater. And uh, mm. one of the first pre- people I met was um, Don Barco, who was the owner of King Corona at the time. He passed away from Big cancer yeah. a few years back, but he was one of the first people I met. And he, you know, instilled in me and was telling me, 
all about Ebor City and how special Ebor was, and and you know that reinforcing what I already knew that as a small business owner, aside from you know just trying to make money, which which most small most true small business owners, you know, are, are just looking to be able to pay the bills and get by, you know, right. uh, but. More importantly than that, Don instilled on me that we had to be stewards of the district and, and try to help each other. If, you know, if you have a business, uh, you kind of owe it to your community to step up and, and make it available in, in times of need. So a um, lot, of, lot of benefits, a lot of charity over the years and, and happy to do it. Happy when people bring it to me. I don't always see it myself. So when people come to me and say, hey, we need help. Um, that that always matters to me because they're they're coming to me. So and, and when they do, I don't take that lightly. Yeah, That's man. good. I, I do want to say when I first started coming down here to Florida, Ebor City was one of the main attractions. And again, like in 2001, that's when I first started noticing Ebor City as well. And I loved it because it reminded me almost of a mini New York, you know, in Midtown. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, you, if anybody's familiar with New York and Midtown, it's it's open 24 <laughs> seven. Okay. You can always find something to do. Always uh, meet people, have a great time. And when I came out of Ebor City, I got that same feeling. But a lot has changed throughout the years. I, I haven't been down there in a while to see it. And this last incident that happened, it was like, it was really sad because it used to be such a good place to go and, you know, meet, have fun and things to that effect. So what kind of changes have you seen since you've been there? Um, well, yeah, like you said, Ebor, you know, it's it's constantly evolving. Um, you know, I think for me, at least in the, you know, like I said, I got here in 2001. Um, and for me, at least... In the iterations I've seen it in, in my current, you know, time time with it, you know, Centro, when Centro came in, mm-hmm. that, that had just oh, yeah. happened yeah. right before I got here, and I know that created some change, and then I think probably, too, you know, when the Scientology came in, mm-hmm. that created a little bit of change, but I think for the most part... You know, Ebor City. <laughs> What's that? A little bit changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That t- it changed a lot. But I think for the most part, you know, Ebor City, um, for a long time, you know, has been a melting pot of um, small business owners that kind of make up the community and keep it quirky and, and gritty and a little bit weird. Um, and that's, you know, when you have those different personalities that come into a district um, where, where every dream's just a little bit different, but somehow they all blend together to create mm-hmm, something exactly. beautiful. You know, I think, I think that's what helps shape the community. So, you know, going forward as, you know, a lot of Ebor has been purchased at this point by mm-hmm. development and, and such, you know, and, and it's getting to be where, because of that development and because of this future vision they have that um, kind of picking and choosing who's going to be in there to get that opportunity. So it's not, you know, again, it businesses come and go, but in the past, I believe it's been because, you know, either their, their, their businesses run its course and they're ready to move on or else they haven't been able to make it work and somebody else comes in and, but it's organic, it's right. happening organically. And right now I think, um, a lot of things that are happening are forced, and when when you have that in 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 this um, sort of change that that isn't happening naturally, um, 
it, it, it puts a strain on things. So what, what is the discussion like amongst the other small business owners? You know, um, discussing in regards to the changes that they're trying to make in Ebor City because of this previous incident that didn't happen. What discussions are you and other business owners together trying to do? Oh, well, as, as far as the, you know, what happened with the shooting and, and some of the violence we've seen, um, you know, the city itself is going to try to make certain decisions, but we as a community, you know, step up and, and, and make the change ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. so... Um, the next event we have coming up, um, Dennis Amadeus, who's a, a good friend of mine, came to me and, uh, you know, originally met Dennis coming and doing, he would come do a spoken word at Decipher, which is a night we've done for years. It's like an open mic for people to help perfect their craft and get better. Um, and he came to me and said, Hey, you know, we should try to do something. And so we sat down and talked about it and, and, and came up with a couple of different ideas. So we're going to be doing a uh, benefit on December 11th uh, for the Andrew Joseph okay. Foundation, um, which is a foundation that, you know, supports grieving parents that have lost children um, <coughs> due to, you know, violence of some sort, violence of some sort or, 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 or poor police training or whatever. Um and then also helps develop community programs to help with violence. So we're doing a fundraiser for them, um, but it's also a call to action. You know, right. we have a lot of... That's what I want to touch base on. I know um, Walter and I had discussed that a little bit last night. So the, the call to action, what exactly um, are you guys looking to do? If the if the city or what have you saying they want to shut down Ebor City a little bit earlier, how is that affecting the small business <clears throat> owners? I mean, they had proposed that, but that went away rather quickly. Good. You know, they. Okay. That, I think that, and that's you know, that's why I talk about the development. That I think that was a knee jerk reaction because what happens is when you have a developer that that is spending a lot of money in an area, and, and we before we went on there, we were joking mm -hmm. about money, yeah. money you know, changes a lot of things. It it ruins people's vision and perspective of what's truly Indeed important. It does, yes. And so when you have a developer that's spending billions of dollars that the city is counting on now, that that's one of the first people that the mayor or other city leadership talks to. Mm -hmm. uh, with all due respect to Daryl Shaw, Daryl Shaw isn't concerned whether the crime in Ybor City or the problems we're seeing in Ybor City, which, which honestly isn't, an Ebor problem, it's a national problem we see. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's been a horrible uptick in violence, especially with young people. We have a lot of societal problems. And Daryl only cares about getting the crime out of Ebor City. He doesn't care if that crime moves to other parts of Tampa because his um, priority is the, the district he's trying to purchase. Um, I gave an analogy to somebody. I said it's like somebody that's moved into a house and the past tenants are still there. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an opportunity, you know, you sit there and you go, oh, look at this. This is a problem here. Now we have to do something about it. So, you know, anybody, if you don't take a knee-jerk reaction, you look at it and you go, why would we blame the businesses when the problems happen on the street? So venues themselves are already safe. We, we had already, you know, when, when TPD and stuff said about different programs and, and this and that, we had already been, as business owners ourselves, taking it upon ourselves to you know, educate ourselves. We had group me chat lines. We're, we're doing trainings. We're continuing to do trainings. And that's why you're not, you weren't seeing the crime happening in the venues. But the reality of it is that eventually, 
you know, if you look at the development and, you, and it hasn't been a secret of, of what they want to do to the district, it doesn't include a whole lot of that nightlife. So to blame it on the nightlife really makes it easy to, to continue to move things along. But our priority, since we are still there, is on the crime right. and, and taking we care of it and fixing sure, it. We want to make sure that, that, we, that we focus in on what it is that, you, that you're looking to do. Sure. So in going into that program... That you because the other day you were you were excited about this, and I I think I think that I think we both are me being a descendant of Ebor City and a, and a resident there you being the same. I think one of the things that is important is to look at that particular aspect of it and what it is that you're looking to do with this program. Well, it's two part. Number one, it's to to do events like we're doing on December 11th. Um, that raises awareness, pulls community together, raises money for uh, foundations and, and 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 organizations that that treat these type of things in in a proper way, but then also to continue training. So you know we're going to be doing. We already did one training this past week. The next one will be. I have to coordinate with the the, the company I'm working with. It's called the Doer Academy. What and exactly does I mean control? What exactly does the contra- the training consist of? Well, it's there it's going to be it's going to be, um, and that's the thing I want it to be well rounded. So, it'll be quarterly, and it's a different topic each time. Um, the first one when we lock down the date in February that we're going to do is going to be de escalation training. Okay. Um, because I, I think that's one of the most important things. You know, when when we look at violent crime. Um, with proper training, you know, you you, you want to prevent. You know, exactly. we want to become more preventable. So the more um, business owners, the more GMs, the more floor people, security guards, door people that know how to de-escalate, we can try to keep things from happening before they happen. Now, once again, that's you know, our businesses can only do so much because if it's happening. On the streets, we can't really control that, but exactly. we still want to do our part. So de-escalation, um, diversity training, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're, we're all different. People have to understand that, you know, it's, we have to try to relate to each other in a way that, that, that is peace and calmful. So diversity training, so we can get a little bit more understanding of each other. Um, de-escalation, as I said, and then also when something does happen, um, emergency medical, and then another training, of course, is active shooter training because, you know, we have a lot of guns. One of the things, right. I will, I'll, as you was making um, those statements. To, was, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tom DeGeorge uh, right here on the Sunday Forum, uh, and this is WMNF Tampa. Uh, the... the Tom, one of the things I want to make sure that that we, because we got, we got to make sure that we we keep on with the show. Sure. But we want, but we want to make certain that we are, um, that, that that we are very very clear again. When is this going to take place? Well, the the, the trainings will be in February, but the, our next event, which is the benefit for the Andrew Joseph Foundation, is on December eleventh at seven p.m. At Crowbar in Ybor City, and we have musical guests like Siobhan, Perception, Sid Live, Wally B, Zeg Montano. Um, we'll have some live painting with Pain, Painkiller Cam, Selena, Jake Coachman, um, H, um, who does Decipher and founded Loud on Seventh, will be speaking, and Deanna Joseph of uh, 
the Andrew Joseph Foundation will also be speaking. And once again, it was Dennis Amadeus that put it together, and we'll have some sound by DJ Afro Blanco. And that's December 11th at 7 p.m. at Crowbar. At the Crowbar. At the Crowbar. Now, where is the Crowbar located? We are located 1812 North 17th Street in Ybor City. All right, 1812 North 17th Street in Ybor City. Hey, listen, folks, we really, really appreciate you joining us um, today for this discussion, um, this initial discussion with Tom DeGeorge, the owner of The Crowbar, December 11th, 7 p.m., 1812 North 17th Street in Ybor City. Come out to The Crowbar. Come check this out. It's important that, 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 um, that we encourage people to come out to this because... This took a devastating toll on us, even for the short period that it took that it took place. Um, this doesn't happen very often uh, in Ebor, um, and, and this right here is something that um, that kind of shook people to its core, to the core, um, with regard to this. But we have people like Tom DeGeorge, who are part of the business community that really care about Ebor City. Tom, listen, man, thank you. Is there anything else you want you want to point out to us? Well, just really happy you guys let me come on and, and uh, talk to you about what's going on and really just appreciate you having me. Listen, well, you come back. Exactly. Right. We're you happy to have back. you here. I'm glad to see that the um, small business owners are getting involved. Um, Ebor City is a Tampa attraction, so we definitely want to make sure we keep everybody informed of what's going on. We have another guest inside yes. here. Let's, let's have a discussion with us. Don, Don, question. I, I just had a question for Tom. Don, Don's got a... Everybody, Don Scott. <laughs> Don Scott. <laughs> Don Scott thinks he's the it's host of the special. show. He just take over stuff. Don, go ahead, please. Bob, Bob, me. You know, he, he's a Philadelphia uh, fan and everything. But go, go ahead, Don. <laughs> Tom, with everything that's going on in Ebor, before, are, are you getting the necessary, I, my question to you is, are you getting the necessary support from your elected officials and the community leaders to help push your mission forward. I know that there's been some um, some struggle with Ebor because of COVID and getting in every and getting you guys open back up after COVID and there and now after the shooting. I just want to make sure that that the elected officials, the people that we all vote and put in the office are doing the necessary things that they can do to assist you and the other business owners in Ebor. You know, once again, when you talk about money, I just, I'm not saying that anybody is doing anything um, improperly, intentionally. I just think that when money's involved, it skews judgment. You know, it skews the priority of what the situation is. Um, you know, so we just got to remember, like, listen, aside from whatever plans are happening for Ybor City in the future and, and, and what the map of things looks like, you know, we, we have to focus on the problem, which is the actual crime that's in our community. Instead of the knee-jerk reaction to be, to be to blame the businesses, which once again are going through the worst time that's ever happened since the Great Depression. I mean, we're all working really, really hard. You know, I, I'm, I'm a good business owner that's trying to make it to the end of my lease. Mm. And when you have stuff like this happen, for the first reaction to be, well, let's blame the businesses. When we know that this was not 
a situation that's the business's fault. It's frustrating. And so anything you do after that, when you already blame the businesses, is not going to be enough. You know, we don't, I don't believe here in Tampa, we celebrate our small business owners enough. You know, it's, we're always focused on development and rich people that are putting money into communities. Um, when it's really these type of small businesses, like I said at the beginning, that that weave and make up an area, and it's important. It's important that we protect and keep mom and pops establishments in this city because they help community. They Absolutely. help community. They help culture. They're important. Yeah, they should be treated as such with a lot of respect. And no, I do not feel like we get the. I want to piggyback a little bit on Don's question. Um, <clears throat> Because he's right, I would think that some type of um, official, some type of you know official, have contacted the business owner, had you guys come together to have a meeting to find out what Form can be done, what cannot be done, exactly. Something. You know, so to to make sure that whatever can be done, like you said, prevention to avoid this from happening again. Now, true indeed, as you stated, you can't do anything when they're in the street. But when they come into your establishment, you know, and it is sad that we have to be this way. But you are dealing with. Uh, young individuals, you are dealing with a climate that unfortunately everyone thinks it's okay to walk around with a gun or weapon or something to that effect. So in your in your personal establishment, do you got, do you have that protocol in place that you have security that does the screening, make oh, sure yeah. no one's coming in with the weapon? Yeah, I mean, I actually, I'm from when I did the Save Our Stages, I'm part of the National Independent Venue Association, and that's what I do for us. I develop safety plans because that was my background. I was at the Olympics in 1996 during the bombing. Um, I've done security for places ranging from 200 to 20,000. So we do uh, wands, we do bag checks. Um, we talk to our customers when they right. come in. We try to, you know, smile, make eye contact, read people to see, you know, how their reactions are, you know. And, and, and you know, we I feel like most of our businesses out there, um, especially the entertainment businesses, do do that stuff, you know, and, and are safe. And that's why you're not hearing a bunch of stories on the news of, you know, shooting inside a club or, or mm-hmm. you know, anything like that. Because we haven't had any violent situations with inside of our rooms um, in a long, long time. That, Like I said, the, the problems moved to the street. And the reason why it's on the street right now is because we haven't done enough to get the party off the street and back into the businesses where people should be spending money. If it's, I mean, if it's a Friday or a Saturday night or any night of the weekend, it's, you know, one o'clock in the morning and, and you're not inside of any of the businesses and they haven't been inside of any of the businesses or aren't old enough to get inside of the businesses and spend money, mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't have been out there anyway. And uh, that's where the other flip side of it comes in and having more community problems or, or community programs um, to give young people a place to go so they don't think that that's where they, they now, should I'm be. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Before we before we end the subject, I'm, I'm glad not trying you to take that. up the whole show. Oh, no, no, you're fine. <laughs> because Walter and I was having that discussion, and I, I brought that same point up right there. If you're 15, 16, 17 years old, <clears> out there 1 o'clock in the morning, first of all, you're not even old enough to get into these establishments. Right. You know, so I agree with you, but we don't want to put it to the point when we say the police is out there and we're doing back to that same thing where they just stopping these young kids and, you know, frisking them for no reason, for probable cause. And yeah, you're gonna find a weapon, or you may find drugs and what have you. So that's gonna create a whole nother problem. Yeah. But I agree, like Don said, maybe you guys, as you're doing now, 
getting everybody together to create that coalition, and hopefully this will make that conversation to continue to move forward to avoid us having this happen again. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. I do want to also add there's a homelessness problem, too, and a lot of our young people are homeless, and Ebor is often a place to go Mm. and uh, basically panhandle so that they can survive. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, and we, we, so we've got to do something about it at different levels. And Tom DeGeorge is making sure that that happens. I, I appreciate the fact that you're doing this, Tom. Um, taking your time, your resources to do this. Because, you know, I, I, like I said, we know each other a long time. And uh, we've seen that, we've seen a lot of change yeah. in Ebor City uh, together. So, Tom DeGeorge. Thank you, man. Thank you all again for having me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. For our listeners out there, if you have any ideas on how you can help Tom kind of like get this mission out and help him move forward to make sure we can continue to enjoy Ebor City, you know, again, that's that's one of Tampa's most um, city attraction, so to speak. You know, we want to make sure we can, can keep him to move forward, help the other small business owners. Give us a call at 813-239-9663. Thank you for listening to it. And Tom George and having us here at WMNF.org. Thank okay? you. Thank you. All right. All right, folks, we're going to be right back with Brother John Muhammad, councilman, city councilman from St. Petersburg, city of St. Petersburg. He's waiting on the line for us. We'll be right back with the Sunday Forum right here on WMNF.
right, all right, all right. It's the sounds of Shaka Khan right here on WMNF 88.5 Tampa. Sarah Silver the I got it right that time, my dude. Yeah. Except Rufus. Woo. Shaka Khan. Yeah. And Rufus. Yeah. Oh, um, man, that was it, 1970. <laughs> what, what do we have on the sheet? I wrote it down. You wrote it down. It's nothing. But nothing? I think it's... Uh, 78, right? 78. Something 78, like 78, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was still a Rufus in 78. Right. I got the eight tracks <laughs> to prove it. And, hey, and, and every millennial say, I what? Right. Who the hell is Rufus? Oh, uh, who's, what the hell is the eight track? Yeah, who is Rufus and what the hell is the eight track? <laughs> uh, welcome back to the Sunday Forum here, folks, on WMNF Tampa. Um, it is now 844, 844 in the a.m. this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, every Sunday is a beautiful Sunday. It's a little overcast outside, but, you know, hey, it is what it is. Uh, on this side, when you're on this side of six feet, it's always a beautiful morning. That's it. That's always beautiful. When you wake up in the morning, be thankful. That's God, it. Duh. Woo. <laughs> All right, folks, listen. Um, we have on the line Brother John Muhammad. Brother John. Let's see, we got it. Brother John, how you doing? I'm doing well, by God's grace, man. All right, assalamu alaikum, brother. Assalamu alaikum. All right. Hey, listen, uh, everybody, this is Brother John Muhammad. He is a city councilman with Saint, the city of St. Petersburg. And my dear friend, one of my oldest friends, John, I'm always glad. I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show because we finally got you on this show. Yeah, right? Sir. We finally got We trapped you. John, we got you. Uh huh? So listen, man, tell us about what's going on with you right now in St. Pete. Okay, I appreciate that, man. And, and you're right, brother. It's definitely long overdue, and I'm honored and, and really humbled by the opportunity to be with you and your listening audience and the guests this morning. So thank you for, for having me. I uh, also want to thank Don Scott, man. I, I heard him in the building. Uh, brother is just phenomenal, man. We met maybe a little over a month ago, and... I mean, we talk about on go and, and just making things happen. I mean, he's definitely uh, really just a mover and a shaker, man. And, and I'm grateful for you know his support and to meet his acquaintance. Uh, so, so thank you all. So, so what we're doing is, is we're here to really invite you and you know your listening audience and those who you know may hear this broadcast to join us for a uh, reentry, a, a community reentry experience. Um, and the community reentry experience basically provides insights into the challenges that are faced by individuals who are striving for self-sufficiency after oh. returning home from, from prison or from jail. And uh, the event will be held on uh, Tuesday, December 12th, um, from 12 to 4 at the Center for Health Equity. Um, and that's uh, in St. Petersburg. It's 2333 34th Street South in St. Petersburg. And... Um, we're going to have a, a powerful panel discussion um, addressing uh, issues that are surrounding reentry, um, some barriers that you know could be removed in the criminal justice system um, over a complimentary lunch, of course. And then at, at 2 p.m., we're going to do the, uh, the simulation, which allows you to step into the shoes of an ex-offender and actually navigate some tasks that represent the challenges that they would face during their first month. Um, of being released from from prison or from jail. That is awesome. That is so, absolutely awesome. Absolutely, man. This, listen, John, you have a uh, a great program there. Uh, can you give us an example of what of what you was the sim the simulation that 
that we're going through? Sure, sure. And and, um, I, and and it was I participated in it again at the Tampa Bay uh, Criminal Justice Summit that Horizon Communities and uh, you know Don Scott and his team you know put together. And and so I can tell you, real world, you know, just from my experience with the simulation, man, you know, a lot of times when we have brothers or sisters that come home from prison, we we tell them, okay, well, man, just go get a job and you'll be all right, you know. Um, but all of the things that entail, you know, getting a job when you have, you know, a, particularly if you got a felony on your record, you know, it's not so easy, right? There, there's application processes that bar you from, you know, participating. And so you have to be able to navigate uh, which jobs will actually hire you as a returning citizen. Um, there's housing challenges, you know, if you are, are looking to, you know, get your own place and you need some public housing, there's some some barriers there that will prevent you from from living in certain places. And then, you know, if you come home, God forbid, and you've got, you know, child support issues, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, fees and fines and other probationary costs, you know, associated with your release, the clock is ticking and, and, and you have to be able to move and, and, you know, get to your appointments and, you know, go take a drug test. And from there, you got to go to the career center and, you, you know, you show up to the career center on, on resume writing day, you, you know, so they ain't, they're not doing jobs that day. They're doing resume writing. And, and so you walk away with a resume, but, you know, now you got to come back next week, you know, and try and get that job. And, and so, and then after you, if you get a job, now you got to get over to, you know, to take the, the drug test. And there's a cost associated for that. And, you know, waiting for the background screenings and, you know, just all of the, uh, the the different experiences that you have, and, and you know, you have to be really resilient. And, and so, um, and 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 if you're not, you know, then you you know, we have brothers and sisters who take chances, and, and unfortunately, you know, sixty to seventy percent, you know, of our community who returns home, they end up going back. Uh, the, ter the terminology that that we use for that for for the public, for the purpose of the public understanding, whenever you hear the word recidivism. Recidivism yeah. is the term that's being used uh, for that whenever somebody ends up being returned to prison. Right. And that's the one thing we want to cut down, right, John? Absolutely. A absolutely. And, and and also being able to see, you know, uh, what we can do as, as those who are forward-facing and providing services to returning citizens, um, really being more considerate of, of the challenges that they're facing because that's another part of, what the experience is, you know, you come home and you have your plans and your ideas about what you're going to do, but then you, you run into those barriers and then you need help. And particularly for black men, y'all know how hard it is for us to ask for help. And, and, and so once you finally humble yourself and you go in and you, you ask for help, if, if the person who's helping you don't really understand, you know, all of the challenge that you're facing, sometimes they can you know, have that poor customer service or, you, you know, oh, talk to you sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and so because they just don't understand what you're really dealing with and, and all of the challenges that you're facing, and, and they never know, you know, that, that, that smile and that we understand, brother, and, you know, right this way, you know, that might be the difference between a, well, go over here and I told you to call to well, they treat them like animals. They treat they treat people like that. They cause people, yeah. to, you know, to be like, man, you know what? I, I I know what to do. I know how to get it. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's terrible how our people be our people are treated 
in under these circumstances because as I was saying, you know, they treat them I've seen them I've seen them mistreated so badly. I mean, when I say that I mean like they treat people like they are like they're animals and right. like they don't deserve to be back. Like they're still being persecuted and prosecuted for whatever it was they've already paid their you know, paid their debt for. Right. I I, I think what we need to focus on as well with that, like you said, all those hurdles, John, that they have to go through, it it takes a toll on their mindset, okay? It takes a serious toll on their mindset, and that's where the discouragement and everything comes back in, and that's when they go back and revert to those old ways, you know? And and I say this because I I as well, I have a nonprofit I've had since 2011, and it's focused around helping, you know, individuals that has been incarcerated and has had difficulty coming out because actually when they come home, they're given supposedly they're given some information that if they do still owe time, you know, to yeah. the state or whatever the case may be, that probation officer or what have you is supposed to have a list of employers that will hire ex-felons, you know, right. based on certain criteria, you know. And sometimes if the inmate does not know these things, they don't know to ask. And even if they That's ask, right. depending on who that parole officer may be or a probation officer and their mindset and attitude on um, ex-convicts, they may or may yeah. not help them in regards to that. And it's sad. It is truly sad. Yeah. So that's why they, they go back to that. Um, I used to say back in the day when you when you look at how, you know, Jay-Z and all the other people came up talking about they did it because they used to be on the street, such and such. And we come from, again, from New York, we call them street pharmacists, right? And I would right. tell them when, when I'm speaking with them, I would say, that same mindset you had as a street pharmacist, use that to start your own business because you took the time to figure out which street that would make you the most money, what times to be out there, who your clientele was and whatnot. That is a business mindset, believe it or not. You know, and you take that and you flip it to the way that it needs to be, you know, to become, as you said, self-sufficient, you know, to, to live a better quality of lifestyle. So it is hard, and I, I applaud you for what you're doing. I thank you. And that program, please, again, give that, give those dates, give that address, and let people know, get involved, because it's very important, because this these individuals, hello, help make up our society, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you got to think about it this way. As an employer, you know, when you get somebody who's re- returning, you know, and they have a plan and they're working and executing their plan. They're some of the most loyal workers. Absolutely. And they work hard because they have, you know, vision and mission and they're driven, you know, to succeed. And so in some cases you can't find a better worker than somebody who just got home. And they're more appreciative because they know where they've come from. So they're appreciative of it for the opportunity. And that gives them the mindset to help somebody else come along. It's all about paying it forward each and every time. Okay. Go ahead, Walter. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, that's Miss Annie, man. She's excited about this. Um, This is is a passion of hers and and is a passion of all of ours when we we, um, deal with this type of thing. And it should be a passion of the community. Absolutely. Uh, John, thank you so much for everything, brother. Tell, tell us when. Tell us again when everything is again. Yes, sir. So it's, it's actually uh, December the 12th, Tuesday, December the 12th, um, from 12 to 4. And it's going to be at the Center for Health Equity. That's 2333 34th Street South in St. Petersburg. And again, the simulation is designed to, to shed light on the journey towards self-sufficiency. Uh, the participants will be able to encounter the obstacles that, that can lead to, you know, that helplessness, that reduced self-confidence, and really walking a mile in, in the shoes of somebody who's returning from, from prison or from jail and allowing them to get some reality. So hopefully it'll foster some empathy. And, and then the panel discussion, we're going to have policymakers, um, 
academics and then some lawyers. And we also have a returning citizen on the panel as well to talk about their experience and then, you know, really um, workshop some, some solutions on how we can address, you know, the things that we face. And so we're inviting you out December the 12th um, at 12 o'clock at the Center for Health Equity in St. Petersburg. All right. All right. Don? Brother John, thank you so much. <clears throat> it's been a pleasure meeting you and working with you on this project as well. And, and hopefully we can do more projects like this in the future where we're just, you know, it, bringing awareness to brother, the community. It, it's not hopefully. You said hopefully. We will be doing. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> John, I definitely want to get your information as well, John, and see if we can do some collaboration. So I'll get with Don and get the information from you. Thank you so much for all of it, um, your information and what you're doing. Please continue on. All Thank right. you so much. I appreciate y'all having me. All right, brother. Thank you, man. Take care now. Take care. All right. So, hey, listen, folks. Uh, this is the Sunday Forum. It's now 8.56, 8.56 um, this Sunday morning. Hey, listen. Th we're going to be talking about the evolution of funk. The evolution of funk. I told you we were going to do it. I told you <laughs> we were going to do it. And we are going to do it this weekend and next weekend. And we're going to talk about the funk. I love the funk. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, but how long have we been talking about doing this? A couple of years now. A couple of years now. And we did it once, but not to the, not the way that we're going to be doing it today. Right? So, um, let, let's, let's, let's kind of get started because we have four minutes. Right? So, let's, let's go into NPR with something funky. So what's the first thing on the list? So, but let, let, let me do this. Funk funk is a a genre of music that is that 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 emerged out of jazz, uh R and B um some blues, right? Uh, but but what what we saw was a transformation of music during that time period, right? From the from the '60s into like the late '60s, actually into the '70s, right? It was a time period where we were going into the Black Power movement, and the Black Power movement was picking up steam. Uh, it was we used words like blood, uh, you know, give me some skin, blood, you know, things like that. <laughs> um, what's up, young blood? I'm, and listen, I'm I'm like stuck in that time period personally, where I still I still use those terms. I call my son blood. Right, he is black. He is black, right? But I, you know, but I, but when I refer to the kids, you know, talk to kids, um, I, I refer to them like that. I use the word jive, right? Um, but literally, right? Um, literally, what's happening? What's happening when you see the transformation of music into the funk genre? Is you're seeing a liberation movement on wax. And we can say on wax. When I say wax, for those people who don't know that, you have a generation, that's what the <laughs> records were made of. We're talking about records. We're talking about the big discs that were like... Vinyl. Okay. Vinyl, right? <laughs> vinyl. Okay. And we put on a record player. Uh, uh, but, these, but these were things that, that we saw. The first, the, first, um, the first thing we started seeing was bebop in jazz, right? It was strange. Very strange. We saw people like Miles Davis. Um, we saw Bird do it before before Davis. Um, we saw these we saw these things happen. Uh, Charlie Parker. We saw these things happen in the jazz genre, basically. But then you saw someone like Roy Ayers pop up, 
Roy Ayers was, he is, in my mind, the greatest jazz artist of all time. That's 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 me saying that, right? Um, and 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 is certainly the most sampled jazz artist of all time of all hip hop, right? Um, but when you start looking at, if you start looking at funk, you start. It's, it's arguable. It's arguable. But Roy Ayers certainly, it, right along with George Clinton. Um, right, right, exactly. <laughs> okay, right, right along with George Clinton, Roy, Roy Ayers, he matches George Clinton very easily when it comes to it. So when you hear Walter saying, right, we're all in the studio, we're nodding our heads because we had this conversation about George Clinton, um, Roy oh, yeah. Ayers, and oh, all yeah. that yesterday. Oh, 